chapter number two. It's good to be here this morning. Always a blessing and honor, privilege to be able to preach the Word of God. Way of introduction, we've been going through the Ten Commandments, of course, and started uh, many Lord's Days ago and read through the Ten Commandments, gave a brief overview, summary, we went through, gave a few examples, the First Commandment, and then backtracked because I'd gone too quickly, and so now we're laying the groundwork before we get back into that. Um, The last two times that I've preached, I preached out of Galatians, and we were talking about how it's not being physical descendants of Abraham or doing a certain work that makes you blessed with Abraham, but we are blessed with faithful Abraham through faith, and that's by the grace of God. So if we're not saved by our works, what place do works have in the life of a Christian? Do good works help keep us saved? Do good works make God love us more? Do good works complete the work of Christ in salvation? Do good works make us fit for heaven so that we can avoid purgatory? Do works get in us into a better standing with God? And I hope as I've read these and asked these questions that you felt an extreme discomfort because as we should know, those things are all false. There's um, nothing that we can do to add to the completed work of God. There is no purgatory. We are made right in Christ the moment that He saves us and justifies us. So my aim this Lord's Day is to explain biblically sort of what role works, good works, have in the life of a Christian. And in our text we find a very good teaching, a very clear teaching on what sanctification is in the life of a believer. In the first few verses we'll consider the context of what our main focus in 12 and 13 will be. We'll see the context. And then verse number 12, we will see the command that Paul has given them. And then in 13, we will consider the cause. In verse number 5, we see the Scripture says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, In this context, we see the view of the attitude and the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ being the second person in the Holy Trinity is co-equal with the Father. He is God. He's not half God, half man. He is fully God. And God condescending to man and taking on the form of a servant It would not have been robbery to him to be equal with God. It's truth. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. In this we see a great act of humility. And if God of gods, very gods, if God of heaven is not too good to 
He's not above humbling Himself. He's given us an example by humbling Himself. We too ought to humble ourselves before God. We ought to be obedient to God. He came into this world, took upon Himself our flesh, was made like us yet without sin, was tempted in all ways like as we are. And He was sinless. He lived a perfect life. He was both actively and passively obedient to the law of God and to God the Father, obedient, as the Bible says, even unto death. He obeyed God. He lived righteously. He was and is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God that all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to that there would be a perfect sacrifice. He died innocently, yet He died for sin. He died for sin, but they were not the sins of His own committing, His own doing. He died for our sins. He made propitiation on the cross. In other words, He completely satisfied the wrath of God towards our sin. He completely appeased God's wrath. He he paid our sin debt. He also made expiation whereby He's removed our guilt and our sin and our shame and He's cast them far away from us. And so as the Lamb was slain, so too He was slain. And so as the scapegoat goes out and takes our shame out into the wilderness far away from us to not be remembered anymore, so too Christ in His act upon the cross, He has accomplished this for His people. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If God has humbled himself, how dare we think that we're above serving God? How dare we be self-centered and think that life is about me and my priorities and my desires and my... Well, we live in such a self-centered people. Among self-centered people, the whole American dream is what can I do to glorify me and to make myself known such it's been since the fall of man that we've been self-centered but how dare us think that we're above serving and above being obedient to God we are not the center of the world God is the center and we should follow him so in light of this we have some context building up into our uh, text for this morning read with me verse number 12 wherefore My beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Having considered the context, let us look now at the command, Wherefore, my beloved? In other words, so then, brethren, so then, my beloved, therefore, my beloved, therefore what? Well, we've read the context. Anytime you see a word like this in Scripture, it's necessary and wise to go back and to see why it's there. That's why we've looked at the previous context. So in light of the previous verses, because of Christ and His work for you, because of what Christ has done in you and through you, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, because He did this great act, because He was obedient, because of His condescension, because of His humiliation, because of His humility. Therefore, my beloved, wherefore, my beloved, obey. Doing this, we will also be humble before God and one another. If we consider God first, if, if we build upon this previous context, then we will see that 
We ought to be humble before God. We ought to be humble before one another. We shouldn't compare ourselves to one another. We should compare ourselves to God. If we compare ourselves to one another, it causes pride. It causes arrogance. We think we're doing better than someone else. Or if we compare ourselves to someone that's got a good show, we'll think, well, we'll just pity and despair and we think it's hopeless that someone else has got everything together and I'm just failing miserably. We'll drive ourselves to pride or despair, but don't consider yourself. Consider what God has done. Consider Christ. Look to Him as our example. We're not here to try to be like someone else. and I'm not trying to follow after Ken so I can be like Ken, but as Ken follows the Lord, I want to follow that example. And what better example than Christ? And so here's our example. Wherefore, my beloved... We cannot pay Him back for what He's done, but we should live for Him. We ought to worship Him for what He's done. Notice also Paul calls them beloved. What a pastoral heart. Paul has a, a, a deep love towards them. Wherefore, my beloved. This also gives us some kind of context that he's not talking to those that are yet without Christ, but he's talking to the beloved. He's talking to the brethren. Paul's not about to set up some... Ten steps to Christianity, but this is in the context he's speaking to those who have already been justified. They are in Christ right now. So this is not, don't misunderstand what's about to be taught. He's not talking to people that are trying to gain salvation or get into a better standing. This is to the beloved. And if you're in Christ, this is to you this morning. Wherefore, beloved, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Now, as a loving pastor, Paul goes on with the most loving encouragement. He starts by commending their prior obediences when he had gone there the first time and taught them and preached to them and pastored them. He starts by commending this prior obedience and encouraging their hearts to continue in obedience. Well, what did they obey? Not Paul, as though Paul had just come up with something in and of himself, but they obeyed Paul as he was given by God this revelation, and as Paul taught them the Word of God, as revealed through the Scriptures, the Law, the Prophets, and the Apostles. In time past, God spoke by the Prophets, but in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. They obeyed the Word of God. Quick rabbit trail, and we'll kill this rabbit and go on. The Word of God is both the Old and the New Testaments. These two combine together to give the whole of the revealed of what God has revealed to us. It's not everything that we could know about God, but it is what He's given and revealed of Himself and revealed of His will. And these two fall or come together to make the whole of Scriptures. Uh, so stay away from the modern false teachers who wish to unhitch from the Old Testament. Old Testament makes up about 80% of our Bible. But read it in light of what's revealed in the New Testament. And so the New Testament shows us that this was pointing to Christ. And it's the scarlet thread that goes through the Scriptures and we see Christ magnified. And so what did they obey? They obeyed the Scriptures. We're not to go away from the Scriptures. They obeyed the Gospel upon the preaching of it and gladly received the Word of God. Now this is by the grace of God we understand. They obeyed Christ by receiving Him as the Son of God. They obeyed Christ as uh, receiving Him as the spotless Lamb the great high priest, the prophet of God, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. 
the mediator between God and man who makes intercession for us and as the only Savior of the soul. They obeyed in pursuit of personal holiness. Or for my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Either as a warning against hypocrisy or building further upon what he had just said, he says, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul leaves her, he's building upon this previous thought. I'm of the opinion it also serves as a good warning. We're not to serve just in the presence of Paul. Uh, What a good reminder this is for us. We ought not to obey just in Ken's presence or my presence or someone else's presence and then go out and to live. You know, as long as as long as preacher doesn't find out, as long as the pastor doesn't find out, and listen, I get it. it. It's hard. We want to put on a show. We want everyone to think we have it together. But we're not living for me. We're not, I'm not living for you. And you're not living for Ken. And we're not to put on a show. So not only in his presence, but also now in his absence. This is a good warning against hypocrisy. This is a good warning against putting on a, a having two different lives, so to speak. And so while he commends them for as he had left, they continued in the things they had been taught. He's thankful for this. Let me also warn you to stay that way. So brethren, continue as you have, not only in our presence, the presence of the assembly, but have in your private lives, your secret time of prayer, your your private devotion, your private scripture reading. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As we've gone through this, looking, considering the command, we find we're we're building and building. And now we get to it. Work out your own salvation. We're not saved by works. But there ought to be a real pursuit of personal holiness and obedience to God in your life. After conversion. It's not legalism to say that you ought to live a certain way to the glory of God. It's not legalism to say that God commands us to be holy. In the Old Testament, He said, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. And again, it's preached from the New Testament. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. And so that's not legalism, but it's also it's not going to make us saved. But it's also not legalism to preach that. It's not legalism. It's not adding to the Scriptures. The, the, there's two ditches that people generally fall in. There's the ditch over here on one side where it's legalism where, okay, you have to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and that to be saved. And then on the other side, there's another ditch, antinomianism, which is this teaching and this thought that, well, you're saved, and God really doesn't care how you live because we're out from under the law. The law doesn't apply to us. And so there's two ditches that we ought to avoid. What he's teaching here is neither one of those. He's right down the middle. Yes, we're saved by the grace of God. Yes, we're not under the law as it is a curse and, and under the curse of the law. Christ bore the curse for us. But again, we're not having to work to be saved, but we ought to live in accordance with what God has done in us. And so let's avoid those ditches. Oftentimes someone is uh, raised up in one of these camps and they overcorrect and they go to the other side of the road later on in life. Let's, 
Let's be diligent to avoid that. Let's be diligent to avoid that. So what is it that he means? Work out your own salvation. Well, if he says work for your salvation, then he's ignoring the rest of Scripture that says we cannot work for salvation. He's avoiding that salvation is by the grace of God alone. Work out then does not mean work for, but rather work from. Work from. Work from your salvation. Salvation is not something to be worked for. Work out. Don't be lazy. Don't deny or stay away or forsake the means of grace that God has given us. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't forsake listening and sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. Don't forsake the exhortation of the Scriptures. Don't forsake the commands of the Scriptures. Don't forsake private devotion. It ought not to be pulling teeth to get a Christian to read their Bible and privately at home. Uh, It ought not to be something that's irregular. It ought to be regular that a, a Christian reads the Bible and meditates on the Word of God. Working out your salvation. Working from. Working what God has put in you. Working from that. Meditate on the Word of God. I'll add this, that if if this is the only time that you hear the Scriptures, you don't have a healthy diet of the Scriptures, work out your salvation. You'll be unhealthy if you avoid these things. Don't avoid the Word. Read it. Soak it up. Meditate upon God's law day and night. Work out your salvation. Be obedient to the commands God has given us in His Word. This is not for lazy people. Believer ought not to be lazy. You are commanded to be diligent in your work for the Lord. Diligent in your study. Diligent in your pursuit of holiness. The moral law of God has not changed. God in His law has given us an objective standard. Everything in this world is subjective. Do as you feel. Do as you please. But God by His grace has given us an objective standard of holiness that we ought to follow. And again, let me reiterate, that's not legalism. That's what God has said. Not only ought we to obey these commands, but we ought to actively serve Him. So what if you don't do the things you're not supposed to do? Are you doing what you are supposed to be doing? Are you doing those positive commands? We ought to proclaim the gospel faithfully to the lost for the glory of God. We ought to regularly attend the corporate worship. We ought to serve one another. We ought to be about our Heavenly Father's business. There is a great deal of things we ought to be doing. How will you know what's required of you apart from the Scriptures though? And so that's why we get into the Word and we read what God has said and we try to apply that by the grace of God. John Gill said of this verse, listen to this, Employ yourselves in the things which accompany salvation and to be performed by all those that expect it, though not to be expected for the performance of them. So we do these things as those who are saved, and we expect that because God has made a promise, and He's saved us, but we're not doing these things to be saved. Such as hearing of the Word, submission to the Gospel ordinances, a discharge of every brand of moral, spiritual, and evangelical obedience for which the apostle before commends them and now exhorts them to continue in, to go on 
in a course of cheerful obedience to the, the close of their days, believing in Christ, obeying His gospel, attending constantly to His word and ordinances, and discharging every duty in faith and fear until the last they should receive the end of their faith, the salvation of their souls. Work out your own salvation. There is work for the Christian to do. And we are commanded to live in such a way that glorifies God. And we're not, we're not allowed to... Uh, Christian liberty, if you've, if you've heard that word, that, that term is so abused. Christian liberty is not this idea that, okay, I'm saved and I'm at liberty to live as I please because God has saved me. Christian liberty is that God has saved you and given you, given you the liberty to follow after Him. Made you a new creature. Created a clean heart in you. Giving you a new nature. Desires. Uh, you read in the Old Testament where He says, He gives the promise of believers to Ezekiel. He said, I'll write My law upon their hearts and they shall serve Me. And now, before a person is saved, the law is on the outside and it's an external pressure to do what God has said. And you feel this outside pressure that I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to, I've got to obey. I've got to have no other gods before me. I've got to not commit idolatry. I've got to not take the Lord's name in vain. I've got to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I've got to honor my parents. I've got to not murder or commit adultery or steal or lie or covet. There's this external pressure. Oh, but when God saves one and regenerates them, now there's something inside working in you that you love the law of God that you used to hate. And that's the working of God in you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Before we go there, Ephesians 2, 8-10, through 10, of course, says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto what? Good works. That God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Work out your own salvation. Work from it. Do what God has commanded to His glory. But how ought we to do these things? How ought we? Is it just some haphazard thing where we kind of do it and we... Maybe we do good works, but we're doing them for our own glory, or we're we're trying to take credit for everything that we're doing. No, look how the apostle adds by the inspiration of God with fear and trembling. This doing, this working from salvation, ought to be done with fear and trembling. Well, well what kind of fear? Not the fear that if of being cast into hell, not the fear of losing salvation. Uh, how hopeless a salvation is the one that God has bought you and now it's all up to you to keep you. How hopeless. How, how, how dreadful. I talked with some Catholics the other day and uh, we were having a conversation and I said, okay, listen, i got a question for you. Uh, just imagine with me, we're standing before the Lord on Judgment Day. What do you say to Him to allow you into His presence? Just play along with me. I asked, I asked Him that. And what did he say? He said, first of all, he didn't have a very sober mindset about this. He's just like, well, I hope Mary will let me in the back door. 
And he laughed about it. He said, no, I'm just kidding. But really kind of just not very reverent thought. And he says, my hope is that I can do enough good works that when I die, I'll end up in purgatory. I said, what about faith in Christ? He said, well, I believe Christ died for my sins. But I hope that I can do enough good works that I can end up in purgatory. I don't think I can do enough good works to be a saint. I don't think I can do enough good works to get into heaven. But my supreme hope is that I'll get into purgatory and then one day after I'm cleaned up, I'll enter into the presence of God. And I say, what a damnable lie. What a God-blaspheming lie. What a terrible, terrible, dreadful state that, that my only hope is that one day I can do enough good to add to what Christ has done for me that I could enter into purgatory and then be cleaned up and enter into the presence of God. How dreadful. So obviously it's not a hope of, or a fear and a trembling that God is going to at the next moment cast you into hell. Christian, let me remind you of something that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not working so that God will have pleasure in me and that God will love me and accept me. I am made accepted in the Beloved. I am made accepted in Christ. I am loved as much as I'll ever be in Christ. God didn't create me so He could learn how to love. God loved Himself The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit loved each other perfectly before I was ever even on this earth. And I am loved in as much as I am in Christ. And so this is not a fear that I'll make a a big sin or a whoopsie as we like to try to play them off as and that God will cast me away from His presence. It can't be that because that goes against what God has promised to His people in Christ. That is not the same. I don't have to live with this fear that God is some... Uh, sadistic, okay, I've purchased you, but now let's work at it. I don't have to worry about the, these things. It's not the fear that he's talking about. No, because there's no condemnation to us. I am just as accepted as I'll ever be and just as loved as I'll ever be because it's unconditional and it's by the grace of God in Christ. So obviously you can't mean this kind of fear then what does he mean? What does he mean? This fear and trembling is that which is present among the most sincere acts of faith, confidence, joy, and obedience. It is a fear and trembling that does not seek self-glory. It does not seek self-fame. This is a humility before the face of God. This is a, a, a serious and sobering reverence for the great God of your salvation. And that you are doing these things for His glory. And that you realize apart from Him you can do nothing. This fear and trembling before God causes loving obedience to His law. Without pride, without arrogance, ascribing all good works, all acts of obedience solely to the grace of God. Solely to the work of God. This fear and trembling means you uh, won't glory in yourself for any work, but only glory in God for the grace to do this work. Hearing this exhortation to serve God and be busy about His service may cause you to feel hopeless. If we stop there, you may have place to feel hopeless. But listen to verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will 
and to do His good pleasure. As we are saved by grace, we are sanctified by grace. We are sanctified by grace. We will be glorified by grace. It is God working in us. You may look inside and say, I'm unable to do what is required of me. You may say, I'm not able to do what is required. I, I'm not able to follow this. And that's, that's good that you, you've realized that, that, that you have that awareness that God has given you. You may look inside and say, I'm unable to complete this. You may be looking at your works and realizing that you've really struggled. Haven't measured up. And this is good that you realize this about yourself. I want you to listen to what Robert Murray McShane said. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's Jeremiah 17.9. Of this verse he added, Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He's altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty. And yet, meekness and grace. And all for sinners. Even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in His beams. Feel His all-seeing eyes settled on you in love. And repose in His almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in Him. The Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart, and so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. And so now we had considered the command. Look now at the cause. What is the cause of our doing? For it is God which worketh in you. It is God which worketh in you. Yes, it's good to be soberly looking at ourselves. Yes, it is good to check up. Yes, it's good to make sure that I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's good to look and examine ourselves. And we ought to examine ourselves. But examining ourselves too much and in a bad light will either lift us up in pride because we think we've really achieved something and come a long way or will break us down in despair because we realize we haven't really gone that far. For every look itself, look to Christ. Ten times he said. Yes, look at yourself, but as you look at yourself once, look to Christ. Let your soul and heart be filled with His excellency and goodness. Fill your mind and heart with Christ. You'll notice that you have more of Him and less of you. You'll begin to have, by His grace, have more faithfulness and service, diligence and study, Thankfulness and happiness and service. And you'll realize that it's all because of the grace of God. You must realize that what is commanded of you is worked out in you by God. These things that are commanded of us are just fruits of the Holy Spirit working in us. If Jesus told His disciples, He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and without me you can do nothing. In Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I don't believe that he meant that through Christ I can be a millionaire and you know do all these things that I want to do, but through Christ we can do what He's commanded of us. He, what, what He commands, He supplies, and He helps us along the way. Yes, you're still responsible for your action. Yes, you're still responsible to be obedient. And if you're disobedient, don't charge God and say, well... I wouldn't have sinned, but you you just hadn't helped me out enough. You're responsible for your actions. You've got to obey God. 
Yes, take determination. Yes, it takes diligence. Yes, it takes work. It takes patience and effort. But all these things that it takes are worked in you by the will and work of God. You had to make a choice to come here this morning. And yes, you may have picked coming here over doing something else. Maybe there was something else and you had to make a decision of where we're going. But even that is not your own doing that you could be credited with. You can't pat yourself on the back as you walk out the door. Man, man, I'm glad I came to church today. I'm glad I worshiped today. No, that is just the Lord working in you. As if you are saved and evidence of God's graciously working in you and giving you the needed grace to serve Him. Well, if it's Him that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure, see then it is God working in us. This is the supreme cause of our doing His commandments. Both to will and to do of His good pleasure, we are His workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He's before ordained that we should walk in them. God works and wills according to His good pleasure. He's working in you. And, and you ought to see the working of God in you and, and any, any amount of sanctification ought to give you more hope and, and joy in Christ because it, at the end of the day, it wasn't that you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and trudged on. It is the glorious grace of our God. Something we ought to be thankful for. He has a good will for His people to do good. And He works that out in them. God, by His grace and the Holy Spirit working in us, makes us willing to follow Him. As I said earlier, He's written His law in our hearts. Are we always obedient? Sadly not. Is that God's fault? Of course it isn't. We're still responsible to be obedient. We're commanded to be obedient. When we sin, we're responsible for that. We cannot accuse God of tempting us to sin. God is not tempted with sin, neither does He tempt any man to sin. And when you're tempted, you cannot say that God has tempted you. Uh, I'll briefly paraphrase this for you. This is from Calvin. It is God that worketh. The sword for putting an end to all pride is that God. it is God that works. When we are taught that we are utterly nothing and can do nothing except the grace of God alone, supernatural grace, which comes forth from the spirit of regeneration, we understand that it is Him and we give Him glory. Uh, Look how in this text it's Him that wills and Him that works. So it's not only is it the, the, the two principal departments here, the inclination and the power to carry it into effect. As Calvin put it. Some would say that God will stir up your heart and it's in your power to do. No, it's God that stirs the heart and and, and leads the heart and guides the heart and it is Him that gives you the power to do. And so then all things must be to the glory of God. All things must be to the praise and the glory of His grace. And as we read this, read it again with me. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Who was that working? That was God being gracious to them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. As we consider the law 
of God and we consider the working of God, is it are we saved by our works? No. Are we kept by our works? Thankfully not. Do we add to this perfect work of Christ on the cross? Thank the Lord we don't. But we are commanded to serve Him. You'll even notice that in reading the Ten Commandments, He said, I am the Lord your God which brought you out of Egypt. And then He goes into the Ten Commandments. Because He has done, we should follow. And don't think yourself above service. Don't think that you're saved and everything's good and you don't have a responsibility. Oh, but brother or sister, when you are obedient to your responsibility, you thank God for that. And you give Him all the praise, honor, and glory for it because it is Him that works in you after His good pleasure. So we consider the law of God. It is not us. It's not for us. It's not for our glory. It's not for our praise. All for Christ because of what He's done. Work out your salvation. Work from it. What God has done in you, do out. Work from. Be faithful. As the brother mentioned earlier in prayer, he said, let us not think that now we've got nine baptisms. Now time starts slowing down. You know, there's not many seats. Let's slow down. No. Keep doing. Because why are we doing things in the first place? To the glory of God. Why do we go out and evangelize? To the glory of God. Why do we read the Bible at home privately where no one sees to God's glory? Why do we lead our families to the glory of God? He's commanded us to. And and you'll think of this and I'll close with this. When, When Jesus said at one point, if you love me, keep my commandments. How does He show His love for us? He showed His love to us by giving Himself for us. We ought to love Him by keeping His commandments. Heavenly Father, as we've come this morning to consider this text, Lord, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. We pray that You would keep our minds in this context that is the mind of Christ and the work of Christ. Lord, keep that mind in us that we would desire to live as He lived. And we would praise you for the glory of your grace God and we would serve you and love you and keep your commandments God I pray give us grace to do that as you've commanded us to be faithful God give us the grace to be faithful sanctify your people God to your glory and grace we would praise your holy name God and Lord we thank you that you are the cause of all our doing God I can't take credit for anything good that's that I've done. Lord, I wouldn't have done it had you not worked in me. And I praise you for that, God. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Lord, I pray you'd give me the grace of repentance. Pray that for this church. Use us as you would see fit. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.